But I also think we live in a culture where most of our needs are not being met in the mainstream culture, our needs for connection, our needs for belonging. And so, of course, we're spending a lot of time in fantasies where those needs might be met. Um, and I think once our, once once we get into a relationship or a number of relationships where more of our needs are met, less fantasy just happens because for me that's how it's been because I'm not needing to meet my needs through this sort of mental movie that I'm playing you know welcome everybody to the podcast relationships let's talk about it I'm Preble Toplitsky I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Hey everybody, welcome. I hope you're having a sweet day. And thanks for tuning in to this episode where I have a conversation with Eric Ingersoll, and we talk about getting out of fantasy and into reality, and how using fantasy, or another word, imagery, escapism, or we can say lost in stories, as a distraction to be present. And we discuss you know, the reasons to use fantasy because in mainstream culture, most of our deep emotional needs are not being met. And I do want to make a caveat because though escapism and daydreaming can be good for your brain, like for instance, you know, not feeling overwhelmed by just stepping away from reality can give us a break. However, escapism and living in fantasy can also go too far. And Eric shares how fantasy just became too painful in his life that it conflicted with reality. He was also really courageous enough to share a vulnerable time in his life and his relationship with his wife, Zuku, that was engulfed in shame and unawareness, yet was a catalyst for growth, transformation, and deep intimacy. So let me tell you a little bit about Eric Ingersoll. Eric is a relational transformation guide. He knows transformation from the inside out because he is walking this path himself. Once a brooding indie rock musician using sexual fantasy to try to meet his needs for aliveness and acceptance, he has since learned the relational skills that empower him to get his needs met in his real life relationships. By cultivating a magical blend of intimacy and autonomy, he and his wife are falling more deeply in love with each other in each passing day. They now work as a team supporting individuals and couples that want to cultivate more aliveness and connection in their own lives. And you can learn more about their work at ericandzuku.com. And I'll have all of that in the show notes for you to see. But before we get on with that, just want to refer you all to my website, prepo.com. There you can sign up for my newsletters. You can also learn more about my, my practice, my therapy practice, and my coaching practice. And you can contact me if you're interested. And if you are moved to support the podcast in a financial way, you can go to my website, prepo.com, and click on the podcast page, support the podcast, with a one-time donation or a reoccurring donation. It is greatly appreciated. Thank you all very much. Okay, everybody. Here we go with the conversation with Eric Ingersoll. And I just want to mention, I really enjoyed this conversation. I felt that Eric is, was just a, a wonderful, authentic, present person in my encounter with him. And I'm really looking forward to having more interactions and conversations with Eric. 
Okay, everybody, here we go with this episode on getting out of fantasy and into reality and ways to restore your intimacy and strengthen your relationships. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it. talking with you <laughs> me too yeah i'm so glad that that you were like yeah i want to talk about relationships yeah and so we've been telling some stories downstairs and we thought let's get our asses up here and start recording about it so my pleasure to be here talking to you about it yeah so um some of the juice just around doing the work man because like we talked about how Relationship is such a spiritual path, and I love that you're so so passionate about it. And I think that so a lot of my listeners and my my female listeners are going to be loving hearing two guys talk about how much mm. they love relationships mm. and the fantasies about relationships. Mm. Yeah, about. yeah. So, where did it come from for you? Around what do you think about knowing that uh, relationship was going to be this great school and teacher for you? That's a good question. I, I, I don't think I knew actually. I don't think I knew it was going to be this, this way. I think, I don't think I had any inkling. I think I knew that I wanted to be in relationship. I wanted connection. I wanted that, that sense of belonging, but I don't think I had any sense that it was going to be, the the kind of the number one teacher for me and in a way it it was a bit of a relief because I was looking for that teacher I was kind of you know I met my partner when I was 28 I think and I was kind of lost really didn't know where I was going I had I had learned to meditate young when I was 15 my friend's mom taught me transcendental meditation in Boise, Idaho. In Boise, Idaho. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And um, I, I was, I, I took to it. I enjoyed it, but I, I just, I just didn't have. You know, the other, I guess, one other thing that had had been a teacher for me was death. I had a lot of death early on in my my childhood. When I was in fifth grade, a friend died suddenly. And then again, when I was 15, another friend was, was killed in a, an unfortunate accident with gunpowder. And then when I was, see, I was 20 when another friend died in a skiing accident. So by the time I was 21, and then I had two other friends die in college that I wasn't quite as close with, but by the time I was 20, I had these three close friends die suddenly out of nowhere and that was really the only sort of thing that 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 cleared or or cleared me out or or was it was a invitation into something deeper than the sort of trivial life that seemed to be around me when you have friends dying that's a whole different ball game than relatives dying yeah yeah and at that age, and you just, I just couldn't make sense of it. I was very confused. But what I noticed was that around death, there was this particular quality that was so different from everything else. It was, it felt like things were cleared out, like cleaned out, like very real and honest. And, um, and what was weird is I actually enjoyed it. Not the death, not the loss, but I enjoyed the way everything felt honest. And people could say anything that they really wanted to say at that time. Yeah. 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 It felt like I was seeing people clearly and I could be more authentic. So how did that how was that um in our conversation downstairs around fantasy, how did that conjunct with fantasy? Mm. The the clearly seeing things really clear. And then also taking our perceptions and our fantasies about people. Yeah, I think um, 
I think I wanted that kind of quality of connection, that quality of authenticity that I saw around death and I wasn't getting it anywhere except for when death occurred, which, you know, people would kind of quickly after death, you know, people kind of wanted to move on. It seemed like, and I was like, I'm not ready to move on, but everyone else seemed to want to move on. And, you know, mainstream culture, you, you have the funeral and then that's kind of it. And, um, there wasn't this kind of like a moth ceremony a year later, or whatever, you know, practices that other cultures might have and so i when that wasn't happening i think i turned to to fantasy to to find something real something connective whether it was sexual or just relational in in whatever way that sense of belonging i wanted it and so fantasy really represented a place where i could find aliveness that i wasn't finding in the mainstream culture outside of these incidents, these death experiences. And so fantasy became this kind of sanctuary, mm. this kind of place where aliveness could happen. Whether, yeah, that you can direct the feeling good. Like we were talking mm -hmm. about, you know, being in grade school and seeing some girl walk in and they have a whole picture of how your life is going to be with her. You yeah. know, that fantasy and yeah play off that good fantasy right yeah yeah and, and that's how i spent most of my, my my teenage years into my 20s was just kind of living in that that place mental imagery you know so what just coming to me what, what do you think the difference because i love visual imagery and the aspect of focusing on what you want in your life and mm -hmm. seeing that and then there's a fine line around the uh, the difference between that and fantasy you know like the fantasy of how everything is going to be especially in our relationships everything is going to be good and this person's going to love me throughout everything and they're going to be unconditional to me and then all of a sudden we find out well wait a second that ain't true there's work to do and yet i still want to focus on the the positivity of the work in the future of how that's going to be so any thoughts about like that that difference of of living in a fantasy world as opposed to um, visualizing what it is that you want. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think one thing is just like the amount of time you spend there. You know, I was spending all my time there. I wanted to be a musician. Like I wanted to be like a, I didn't want to be a rock star, but I wanted to be like a touring musician making enough money to live. And I spent all my time thinking about it. And if I wasn't thinking about that, I was thinking about the relationship, the fantasy. But I wasn't ever really present in the moment or with, with a person who was sitting next to me. And so I think it may, part of it, I think is just like the ratio mm. of real life experience compared to fantasy. Um, but I also think we live in a culture where most of our needs are not being met in the mainstream culture, our needs for connection, our needs for belonging. And so of course we're spending a lot of time in fantasies where those needs might be met. Um, and I think once our, once, once we get into a relationship or a, a number of relationships where more of our needs are met, less fantasy just happens because for me, that's how it's been because I'm not needing to meet my needs through this sort of mental movie that I'm playing, you know? And so I think, I think there's a place for stories that are you know life-serving but i think when they become bigger than than our real experience and like you said and not actually being in it that like that's more of where we're living than what we're doing right. you know thinking about having this wonderful conversation with this woman but actually just being across the room and not even saying shit to her right yeah <laughs> yeah and you can kind of feel because it, it, it starts to I'll have these experiences where I'm I'm like, oh wait wait a second, I'm I'm not here at all right now. I've just spent the last half hour not even being here, and and I'm and 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 it, it's and the fantasy I was having is actually getting in the way of me moving into 
whatever. And I, I use the word fantasy really loosely here. I mean, it could just be like a story or something and, and um, you know, any, any story, but I, I, I do think a lot of us in, in our culture can disappear into fantasy. And I think there's a very good reason for it. Like I said, around the culture, not getting, you know, where we're not getting our needs met, but I, I think there's a, I don't know, for me, there was just like a process where it was like, oh, the fantasy became too painful for me to keep going. And I think most people I talk to or some people I talk to have that experience where, yeah, the fantasy just became too too painful. Too painful because you're not experiencing it, that you know you're not experiencing it, or just too painful because... Yeah, it could be because you're not experiencing it or it, or it could be so conflictual with reality yeah. that it becomes painful. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it, for me, it was that I stopped having, I'm, I, I, the fantasies a reduced because I was getting more of my needs met in the real world, which was so that the fantasy was no longer as necessary. And, and also the other part was just that it became too painful. And before I was in relationship, there was no one to really reflect back to me that I was in fantasy so much. I had no idea really, mm. to be honest, how much I was in fantasy. I would walk, I, I would, I would, I, I would walk out of my apartment and walk down the street and I couldn't do it if I wasn't fantasizing. I was somebody else because I was so insecure and so confused. And so I just, that's how I got through my day was pretending I was somebody else. And I still notice sometimes I'll, I'll sort of like pretend to, I'm like, oh, what would so-and-so do here? Somebody I respect or something, but it's not as fully, um, it's not as consuming and, and it doesn't distance me from my real life experience in the way. More that, inspirational than it is. Uh, right, yeah. yeah. And so the relationship with Zuko, your, your present partner, mm -hmm. what did, uh, what did you work with with fantasy there? Like that you said that that you were working on it by imagining, like you're saying, like here's school right here. This relationship is school, so my partner's going to be bringing it out. How, what what ways was she calling you out around that you were not being yourself or in your fantasy about her? Well, she just I don't I don't know if she would agree with this, but I think she would agree that that she did not spend as much time in fantasy as I did. Like I used to close my door. And as a teenager and just like shut the world out and just turn to my music, turn to writing, turn to creating, to just shut the world out. And so I, that was my, that was my strategy growing up to, to, to sort of protect myself. I was terrified and, um, I terrified of just the world. I think, mm -hmm. you know, just of my, my needs not being mad of people saying things that, 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 you know, I hurt when they, when I heard them. Um, so I don't think she had as much of a, of the same fantasy life that I had. That might not be true, but for whatever reason, my fantasy, when I would share it with her or whatever fantasies I was having, it was like, she was really like, um, she noticed it really, I guess what it was, mm. it's as simple as that. She really noticed it in a way that I, I didn't, I don't think I was being fully honest with myself. And, you know, I, I imagine you have this experience in your relationship is when you're with somebody in that level of intimacy, they're reflecting back things to you that you may not even be fully aware of. They're seeing parts of you that you're not, you don't have the perspective to see. And so she was seeing these parts of me, whether she had less or more fantasy, maybe that's debatable, but she was seeing the, the, the tendency and she would be like, what are you thinking about right now? And I'd be like, Oh, I'm thinking about my music being a musician, fantasizing about some show I might be playing or recording or making a, you know, writing a song. And as somebody who spent a lot of time creating, I, I just could totally lose myself in that world. And she'd just be like here and there and be like, what do you, what do you, where, where are you right now? I remember her saying like, where are you right now? And I'd be like, oh, I'm not here. You're right. And she's like, she's, he, she's here, right? She's just like, if you and I were talking right now and I just kind of drifted off, you'd be like, where are you right now, Eric? And I'd be like, oh, but before when I didn't have a primary partner, there was no one to do that. There was no one to kind of 
you know, ring a bell and say, hello, we're here. We're actually in real life here too. Yeah. And instead of people just sleepwalking through it, I love that you guys were, that you did that work, that you're doing the work, but that there was a period of time where you knew that you had to do that deep work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it started when, when we were talking, what we were talking about downstairs, which is this moment where it became like the, the work had to be done, you know, it became so painful and so necessary if we were going to continue being in relationship that, you know, we had to do the work. And are you, are you willing to tell a little bit about that story? Yeah. 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 yeah so, um, it was probably like 2017. I had actually had a series of fantasies about other women before this, this one I'm about to tell, but, and, and had come sort of like quote unquote, come clean about them to Zuku. Man, these, that, those are words, man. I have a hard time listening. You gotta come clean, man. You gotta come clean. <laughs> Thanks for yeah, naming that. Yeah. That's how it felt though. You yeah. can see even in my speech now, it's like, <laughs> and even talking about it now, it's like, oof, yeah. it's, it's scary. Um, there's like this story of like men as dogs, you know, like coming clean about their transgressions. And I was just talking to Zuku about it this morning. Like it's, it's only recently that I've believed myself not to be a monster. Mm. Mm. Like, I think a lot of men are struggling with that. Mm really in a very deep level believing themselves to be monsters i think about that disney movie or that which is probably based on a, a fable like beauty and the beast you know it's yeah. like this monster and it's yeah i gotta come clean about being a monster but the story i was telling you was the um this this friend of zuku's a very close friend probably her closest friend at the time was a um was was dancing burlesque and we would go to her shows and i was i was like wow this is sexually relevant for me big surprise right you know that's what burlesque is is kind of supposed to do um among other things i imagine um but from my perspective it was like wow this is sexually relevant for me get the juices going yeah that's what, yeah that's what what paid the ticket yeah and <laughs> I, um, let's see, I think sort of the, the way it unfolded was I, I had felt, and, and there was also like, we were, we would hang out every week, um, every, every like Monday night, we would have dinner with this group of friends. And this, this woman was part of that group. And I was in grad school at the time and, and really stressed out. I was having like heart palpitations and my stress was through the roof. And I turned to some of my familiar coping mechanisms, which were like fantasy to deal with that stress. And, um, I really didn't want to have, excuse me. I didn't want to have a fantasy about her. It was just too dangerous. It felt too scary. And I remember thinking, well, maybe if I look at her picture, dancing burlesque on her Instagram, I will feel less attracted to her. <laughs> as crazy as that sounds, that, great. I, that was my logic. Yeah. And of course, I looked at the picture. Exposure and, therapy. Yeah, I yeah. If I can kind of like, yeah, maybe I don't really find her that attractive somehow. <laughs> like, you know, it's just because whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Um. And so that was my logic. And, and I remember like consistently as, as a younger man, like trying to not be attracted to people. I don't know if you ever had that experience, yeah. but I was just like trying to not be attracted to people. Yeah. And I would, I would try to like find some quality about them. I didn't like, like the way they talked or the way their hair was or some, something like some bullshit like that, that helped me turn down the volume on my attraction. Cause it, my, my attraction was just so high. It was uncomfortable and, and scary, um, on, honestly. And I was afraid of what people might say about me if I was just like that that dog, you know. Hmm. And um, but you're quiet. Guy. You're 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 a calm guy too. So did it come out? Did it come out assertive in in verbiage, or was it only just like 
you were you were shining those strong vibes it was just all in mostly internal okay you know? yeah. yeah i didn't come across as like because I, I i that just wasn't what i did right um it's not my personality to show like some guys are really like obvious about it but i was never that obvious i felt too much shame i think hmm. and i'm just more introverted anyway hmm. um and so anyway i look i look at this picture and it doesn't help right and then i like touched it to try to like i think i don't know if i was trying to swipe or like look at it more closely or what i don't remember but i when i touched it it liked the picture <laughs> like it sent a message saying you like this picture on instagram and it sent it and you know then the person is gonna know and i was just horrified i thought oh my god and i quickly clicked it again and i it was i was able to unlike the picture but i was in that that horrific moment where my my whole body you know started went to cold sweats and i'm like i'm busted you know i was terrified and here i was like already stressed out already trying to cope with my stress with this way and now i'm i'm just like it's completely overwhelmed with shame and i'm like i got to tell i got to tell zuku i got to tell my partner and this was before you knew this other woman even knew that you liked it yeah. you told her before huh no she didn't she didn't zuku and the other the other woman did not know okay i don't i well maybe i had mentioned it in passing um i don't really remember um but i yeah i that this was like okay i gotta i gotta quote unquote come clean yeah and i i told zuku and um and i i think i also said and i think she might be like sending me signals because she had done some things that i was like i think i interpreted as like possibly you know, so what did you actually tell Zuku that you had fantasy about her? I think no, I think I told her that I like looked at this picture, okay. yeah, yeah, and that I had a, a fantasy about her because I had had another a fantasy about another friend, um, similar situation, um, and so yeah, but this was like uh, this close friend, and I told her, and she, and I said, yeah, maybe she's sending me signals. I don't know. And um, she told this friend, you know, Zuku approached this friend and and she denied it and she said, no way. And um, it just created this huge fracture between the two of them. And then this friend group that we were all a part of, it, it, it all just fractured. And um, I was, and this just so, so, so folks have some context, like I was the only man in this group of, I think there was five or six of us total and they were all queer women and i uh walked into this room one day <laughs> where they wanted to talk to me about the experience the, how they felt about they're not, they're not gonna hold back you know when you walk in there you're going yeah. like man oh, it five was, queer women are not gonna be holding yeah, back yeah and um i was terrified and i went in there and and i'm not trying to sound like some victim here like i i could have said no you know um i i went in there and it was just it was a really really i felt terrified and i'm and obviously they had feelings about it rightfully so you know the way i went about it was um you know pretty i, I understood why they had feelings about it and um but my experience because we're talking about my experience right now is was just like pure terror you know and just pure shame hmm. like I, I didn't have the fortitude and, and skill to like hear them and understand their experience. It was just pure shame. Like I was mm. awash in shame. And something about women, like a group of women, like telling me what it was like. It, it reminded me of like being a child, you know, and, and like- Your mom telling you, you not being a good boy. Yeah, like we're really disappointed in you. Mm. You know, that was the thing that I remember my parents saying to me, it was that kind of vibe. and. I was just completely awash in shame. And again, I'm not trying to to say that their reaction ought to be any different than it was. I'm just saying that my experience of it was just complete and utter shame, which ultimately is not very helpful for change. But it really set off. It was the darkest because not only not only had I done this thing that was, you know, in violation of you know you could say it was in violation of this friend of ours but it was um it blew up all of the friendships my wife's closest friend all of our connections just completely 
disintegrated after that because of the conflict that arose. And um, we didn't have the skills to patch it up. Suku, I, I'm not gonna speak too much about her experience, but it just, it, it fractured her relationship with those, those friends. And really like, I think brought to light some, some stuff in the relationship that maybe wasn't as, um, not, wasn't as working for all of us as much as we had hoped. It kind of brought some of this other stuff to light that was already lurking underneath the surface. So I don't think it was just this one thing, but it kind of like was the straw that, that really changed everything. And it set me on this, this huge healing journey. Hmm. It was such a dark, scary moment that just completely altered my trajectory. And for me, you know, just even thinking about just your experience of of being honest, like that was that's a, such a vulnerable, commendable human thing to be, and to our fallibilities, you know, to talk about our vulnerabilities and fallibilities, and something that that is very common in aspects mm-hmm. of people's attraction. Yeah, it's more about do we act upon it? How much energy do we give those? those attractions, not the fact that we're attracted. Right. And that's, I think, really sad about like where shame comes right down. You shouldn't be attracted to this person at all. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't have your alive juices flowing. Yeah. And then there's an aspect of discernment of how does that get in the way of love and purity of friendship and safety and emotional connection. Right. Yeah. And I think that was the challenge was not that I was attracted to her, but how much I was feeding it, the, how much energy I was giving it. It wasn't, I don't think Suku's problem was that I was attracted to her friend. It was more like how much I was feeding these types of fantasies at that time. Because mm. I really wasn't able to ask for what I, I wanted or, or I, my needs were not getting met in our, in our relationship. Some needs were not getting met in, in our relationship. And so I was, I was just so habituated to fantasy. That's where I turned. But it was, it, it was that I was feeding it more than just like, cause now I feel, you know, I feel attracted to people all the time, but I'm not in that place where I'm lost in it the way I was then. And that was the catalyst for you and Zuku to do really deep work. Yeah. You know, and that, that's what people got to understand. Like, it's like, that's where our deep work comes from is around when we're hitting those shadows and, you know, yeah, that it's sometimes that's okay to have these experiences because that's what we need to have the growth instead mm-hmm. of, judging our experiences and having a lot of shame. If we're shifting and moving and growing, it was a beautiful thing that happened to us. Yeah, it hard. was It was hard and beautiful. Yeah, it was, the, it was it, it, it's why I'm right here right now, frankly. I mean, it's, it completely altered, altered the, the, in many people's lives, but especially mine and, and my partner's. And it, I, I'm way more whole and way more, myself and way more embodied and connected than I was ever before that. But it, it was this kind of, you know, dark night of the soul or whatever you want to call it. This, this deep dive into like, things were always kind of like not great, but I needed to go all the way down mm-hmm. to the, to the bottom before, like I needed to know in some level, I think to, really experience okay this is this is as bad as it's gonna get i mean i told a friend about this story once and he was like i don't know how you didn't kill yourself because hmm. the shame was so strong and there was like a year after that where i would i tried to stop fantasizing altogether i went into this crazy hmm. thing where i tried to stop having any fantasy and I, I remember like driving down the road and seeing a woman on the side of the road and being like oh my god there's a, an, uh, I feel attraction, like, stop it, you know, stop, you know, just like trying to shut this, this part of myself down. Cause I thought that was the problem that my attraction was the problem. And it just was just a total nightmare for quite some time, really. Hmm. Did you feel a lot of that projected shame when you would walk into pl- places that people that you knew people knew the story? Like, was that, did, did you have to do processes with other people? Um, there was just uh, mainly that one time, um, there was, there was not as much outside of that. I think there was a couple of times, but 
it was more internal for me. It was more like every time it was more cause I was still in relationship with Zuku and, and I would, I would walk, you know, into a store and see some woman that I, I found attractive and, and then I'd be like, Oh, Oh man, now I'm gonna have to tell Zuku like, Oh mm. shit. It was just like this whole mental fuck show. <laughs> yeah. Painful. <laughs> so painful. So what were some of the steps or, or the things that you already agency and resources that you already had internally to yourself to be more present? Cause what we're talking about is the work that you were doing in the relationship with Zuku because of all these things to awaken you, to be more aware, to be more present. What were some of the things that like even help with the shame? That's a good question. I think at that time, um, you know, I had like, I had, you know, I'd write songs about it. I would meditate. I would ex write about it. Like just journaling about it would, would be helpful sometimes. But honestly, I was pretty awash in shame for at least a year, maybe more. And, and it wasn't really until I, I met this guy, I, I started going to like every male therapist I could find because I was so desperate. I didn't, I'd, I'd mainly worked with female therapists until then. And I, I just needed to talk to a man about this because I, I didn't think I was going to be understood by a woman. Um, and I, I just, I went to like many, many male therapists and I just couldn't find somebody I really connected with. And then I started seeing this meditation teacher. I went to like a, a guy who specialized in like addiction. I went to a sex addicts meeting and I was like, I don't think this is me either. And I went to all these different, I remember I met this one guy and he goes, and this is how bad it was. And this was in the Bay area. I mean, we're talking about a place with a ton of therapists and a ton of like, you know, you would expect quality therapists. And I remember I went to this guy and he was like a spirit rock teacher and was just like really, you know, pretty well known. And I was like, how do you work with your shame around, like around attraction? And, and he goes, this is what I do. Just don't look. <laughs> and I was like, really? That's how you work with this? Wow. I, I, I was just completely clueless mm. and no one seemed to be able to help until I met this one guy. I was, I was doing this other, I was meeting with this one guy who's more of a, uh, of a, a, ther um, a, a meditation teacher than a therapist. And he said, and we would just meditate together. And he said, you know, I met this guy. I think you should talk to him. I think he's going to, he was saying the right things. And I think he's going to have the medicine you're looking for. And, and I was like, okay. And um, I reached out to this guy and he was, this was before people did therapy on Zoom very much. He was in Santa Cruz and I was in the East Bay. And he um, he said, I'll, I'm, I'll, I'll do a Zoom session with you. And I was sus suspicious about a Zoom session being very helpful. And, um, but on the first session, he goes, all right, tell me the worst thing that you've done. What's the worst thing you can think about that you've done or that you've even thought about doing? And I told him about this situation that I just told you about the whole thing. And he goes, oh yeah, I've, I've had that happen multiple times. And I was like, really? He's like, definitely. There was this time and this time and then this whole relationship blew up in my face and multiple people were hurt. And like, he just went through every hor hor you know, horrible, horrific thing that he had experienced and, and that was related to this and just told me about it. And I had never had a therapist do that for me. They were always kind of like, well, what do you think about that? You know, how do you feel when you think, you know, just the classic kind of, I'll say bullshit therapist stuff. Yep. And, um, he, he was the first person who really brought himself into the space in a way that I had never experienced before. And he was, I don't even, I don't even know if he had any credential. I'm calling a therapist, him a therapist, but I don't even remember if he, I don't think he even had a credential and which was in, which was a little scary to me. Cause I was like, is this guy nuts? I don't mm. know. Is he going to be helpful? I don't know. I was much more cautious then than I think I am now. And I remember that first, and then he goes, and what's the next thing? That's the second worst thing you can think of that you've done. And I told him, he goes, oh yeah, like I've done this and this and, you know, it was some sexual thing. I don't even remember what it was. And he had like done what I had done, but he had taken it even further. And, and 
And I was like, oh, and he goes, okay, what's the next thing? And we just spent the first session of him walking through every single thing I had shame about and telling me he had, he basically saying me too, same here. And it was so, I felt like a, my nervous system just completely calmed down. He didn't feel alone too, right? I didn't feel alone. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Completely changed me. And I remember thinking the first few sessions with him, I was like, oh, is this, is this, I don't know if I can trust this guy. He seems a little un, unhinged. You know, he's a little crazy. He's a little too reckless or something, you know, because I had been used to these really kind of traditional therapists and like Jungian analysts and and I had gone to the Jungian place in, in San Francisco and seen people there because it was cheap and I had heard good things about it, but none of them introduced like themselves into the process the way this guy did and it just completely blew my my world open. And I just, I needed that. And he just, he helped me develop a self-love practice. He was just so into self-love mm. and he said, we would do, you know, internal family system stuff and tapping and all sorts of stuff. Um, body-based, you know, work. Um, yeah, because the shame really resides in yeah, the body. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we would get in and get in at that level too. Um, but so he did all of this stuff, the body-based stuff, the same here kind of helped me feel less alone. And it really um, started to shift things for me. Whereas I would use I would used to go to therapy, and um, I'd feel better for like two hours. But this would be like very much more lasting. But then the other thing he did, he said, you know, I, I do uh, medicine journeys. You should really think about this. And I was like, what? Really? I don't know if I'm ready for that. Like I I had done like, you know, psilocybin in college or something and here and, you know, here and there or whatever. But he was like really on this, this psychedelic as a, as a medicine, you know, as a means for therapy and, um, for, for deepening therapy. And at first, and he wanted to work with MDMA and I was like, oh, I don't even like, isn't that like what the ecstasy is? Like, I'm, I don't know. It's not even a natural substance, like what quote unquote natural substance. Like I'm not really into that. I'm more of a natural guy. I'm like, I don't like all that stuff. And, and he just kept working on me. He said, it's like a year of therapy in one day. See, like a year of therapy in one day. And I, 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 I was in school at the time and I just couldn't afford it either. Once he finally kind of convinced me like, I don't know if he convinced me, but once I warmed up to it, he he said what the price was, and I was I was like, nah, I can't afford that right now. I'm in grad school. I'm not making any money. And he um, he said, well, look, I know you. I trust you. I'm gonna just sit you in Zuku down and teach you how to do this work, and I'll send you the MTMA. Oh. And he just sat us down and told us everything he knew, everything he, th how he did it, he, all, all of it, and sent us the MDMA. And um, I, I did my first journey with Suku sitting for me, and it just completely changed me. It was like a year of therapy in one day. I, I, I remember going in with my intention being like, how do I heal? I, how do I heal? That's my intention. How do I heal this, this wound, this thing, this horrific, this monster inside of me that is, is gross, is sexual, is predatory, is, you know, nasty, is objectifying, is brutish, is whatever. How do I heal this? And I remember that being my mantra and I'm sitting there repeating this mantra and the medicine starts to come on and it goes, I hear this voice and it goes, you're already healed. And I, I said, no, 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 I'm here to do the work. I'm, I'm here to 
we got about four hours. I'm here. Yeah. I, I paid for that. <laughs> right. Right. Like I'm not, I'm not, uh, that's not the answer I need. Right. Let me, let me try again. And I try again. And the voice again says, you're already healed. And I'm like, come on, listen, that's not satisfying. I need to know how I get out of this mess this mess that I've created and that I'm living in every day, this depression, this, I mean, I was suicidal. I was self-injurious. I was doing all of this, this stuff. I mean, sort of, it's hard to admit now even, but, mm. um, and, and then I remembered what, what this guy had told me. He said, you know, whatever, whatever comes, you don't push it away. Like if there's a doorway, you go through it. If there's a stairway, you go up it. Like you don't, you don't push any of it away, whatever it might be. It might be surprising. It might be confusing, but you don't push it away. And I said, the last time I said, how do I heal? And it goes, the voice said for the last time, you're already healed. And I was like, okay, maybe there's nothing wrong with me. Maybe I'm not flawed. Maybe I'm not a sexual deviant or predator. Maybe, maybe this is this is a person, an experience, a being that that can be loved and cared for and and empathized with. And it was just a huge game changer for me. Mm. Wow, that's a beautiful story. And, and thanks for being so open to to speak to it. Mm. Yeah, thank you for, yeah, making the space to hear it. It feels tender to to share it in this way. It's one thing to talk about it just with a person, but like this, it feels pretty, it feels edgy. Yeah, and especially this is one of our longest conversations we've had so far. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So that was really the beginning of, well, the sort of the first stage. How did that sit, how did that sit that that you're that you're healed? Do, do, do what the doubts come in after that, or was it really just feeling like? Yeah, I mean, doubts definitely came in, but it was, it was, it was, it was as though there was some sort of something to stand on that was saying you're you're okay the way you are. There was a knowing of there was, truth. There was somewhere in my nervous system, there was a knowing of the truth that I'm okay as I am, that I'm not a problem. I'm not a monster. Mm. And that even when the doubts would come in, it was like some part of my nervous system knew that there was this okayness to me. Even when the doubts got loud, like there was still like another voice in the room saying, no, 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 hold on a second. And was there a resonance in your body? Oh yeah. Also? Yeah. 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 Definitely. Just more of a like embodying your bo body. I, I imagine instead of like lifting off into fantasy, that really brought you back into your body. Yeah. It did. Mm -hmm. Um and it it brought me into like a, a more of a, a loving empathetic experience of my body, my mind, my heart, all of it. Yeah. But re really the, the problem seemed mostly focused in my mind. The, the part of me that wasn't healed, it, it was more that my mind was where most of the healing needed to happen. It was accessing the body was, was a place where the pain would show up. Like the pain from the thoughts would show up in the, in the body. And so then the, the, the move was, okay, there's less pain in, in the mind. So there's less to work with in the body. But if, if there is some pain in the mind, like I can work with it at a body level too and be with it in that space. Like really, my, mainly my practice now is, is getting curious about, okay, what's going on in the body? Okay, oh, oof, I'm thinking about going to work in a couple of days, I feel anxious. How does that show up in my body? Okay, I'm gonna be with that for a little while. And then I get in touch after I'm with the, with the feelings in the body for a while, and it may take some time, then I then I try to move into more of like an NVC process, compassionate consciousness process of like, okay, what what feeling is here? Okay, 
anxiety. Okay, what need is not being met? Oh, okay, a need for competence, maybe. A need for space, a need for autonomy, whatever it might be. So then I can bring in the mind and, and get curious about the mental experience after I've attuned to the body. But I wasn't even aware I had a body, hmm. you know, until I was probably, I remember when I met, met my partner, Suku, she was the first person to even introduced the idea of me being in a body. She was like, yeah, you're really in your head. And she did it in sort of a, in a way that, you know, maybe wasn't as elegant as she might do now, but she, um, dude, where in the fuck are you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it wasn't quite that harsh, but it was like, you know, I, I received it as blame. Sure. And cause I was like, Oh, maybe I'm what's wrong with me. I'm too in my head. And, um, it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't until then that I started to come down into the body more, um, and kind of knew I had a body. So when shame comes up for you now, what is it, what does it feel like? Or what do you do with it? Hmm. Well, fortunately it doesn't come up as much as it, as it did. Um, it does come up sometimes. And I, I think it's a lot of what I just said. It's, it's getting, what's it feel like in the body? Getting interested. First, it's noticing that something's going on. Okay, something, yeah. something's up, right? Something is not, like this situation, my, my reaction to this situation doesn't quite match. Who you really are. Yeah. Hmm. And so that's the, the, the first is the noticing. And that's what I like about having, I, I don't meditate regularly now, um, but having a, a, a meditation practice, like a longstanding meditation practice can help, help us notice stuff that we may not otherwise notice. And so I, I'm more adept at noticing, okay, something's up. And I wanna be honest, like this is not a perfect, I'm not a, <laughs> you're not done <laughs> yeah i'm not done yeah at all and so it looks different and it feels different and it, it sometimes it hits me harder than other times sometimes it's easier but usually it's noticing okay something's up shame is here and um it's usually a body experience it's like a thought but it's the body is just a wash it's lost it's discombobulated it's alarmed it's it's in a in a state of you know sympathetic reaction yeah and it usually in our partnership it usually shows up when we're giving shit and throwing it out to our partner we jump over the shame of that vulnerability mm. and we express anger we blame we don't want to feel that pain so we shoot it on we say no what what are you talking about that didn't have defensiveness mm -hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. Or it'll show up for me sometimes. Yeah, like, um, like I'm kind of like rushing to get something out. Like I, I just want to be like get this out of me because it's so you know it's like in my body, I can in, in my mind, and I can just feel it. And I just want to rush it. I can tell if I'm wanting to move fast. There's, that's usually an indication because um, I just want to get rid of this thing, and I want her to like help me hold it you know mm -hmm. and so now i'm i like to okay i need to slow down okay what am i feeling all right some tightness in the body here and usually in my solar plexus and um if if i'm resourced enough I'll sometimes what I what I did this morning actually with Suku was I said um, and I've done this more more recently and find it to be more helpful as I say hey I'm really needing some empathy about something right now are you in a space where you can offer that rather than let me just like dump this on you and get it out of my system as quickly as possible invitation for support right right yeah and yeah. do it consciously. And, right. you, and use that vulnerability as a way to connect and be closer in your relationship. Right, exactly. And that that for me has been a new skill where I'm act, actually asking for 
support or empathy and and if she's a no then okay maybe we won't talk about this right now because i don't want to talk about it in a way in a time where i'm not going to be resourced and i'm likely to go into activation um so yeah I'll, i'll sometimes ask her um but if she's not around or i'm just working like last night i was working with some with some shame and i just i just i yeah i just slow down and i put my my hand on my heart and solar plexus and i just okay what am i feeling yeah it's some shame some agitation some insecurity after i've been with it for a little while just to the experience in my body sometimes i'll i'll swim in it for a while before i realize i need to do this actually like i want to be clear that i'm not i'm not done like like we said um it's it's not it's not um I wouldn't say I'm completely competent in this experience. Um, and then I'll get curious about the feelings and needs. I used to do this thing. I don't need to do this much anymore, but what I did maybe a year or two ago more was I would do affirmations out loud. I would say, you're okay. Just the way you are. You're okay. Just like this. And what I would just, I would say whatever, whatever phrase that really like I would feel it in my body when I would say it, it would, and I would say it out loud, not just in my head. And I would say it until it landed in my, in my body, whatever. And I would change the words a little bit until it, it really like hit, hit the, like mm. where the shame just felt a little less sharp. Yeah. Um, but mostly late, lately I've been doing more of this, like just feeling it for a while and then getting curious about the experience. I mean, what, what are the feelings and needs here? And like you said, self-love and self-appreciation is so vital to be able to come back from that aspect of um, being out of control with our with our shame, that we resource ourselves by that. You're, you're a musician and singer, and uh, I used to sing when I was working on more and more self-love was um, you are so beautiful, you know? Mm. And I would just so slowly just, you, mm. and, and me singing that to me, that I was singing it to myself. Right. And just feeling until I just, you know, welled up with tears of allowing myself to soften into my own self-love. Man, I really appreciate this this conversation. I think it's so important that, especially men working through our male shame I know everybody has shame, but it's integrated in 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 most men in so many different ways, and it mm-hmm. shows up. And to be able to be working it and how you worked it in order to not only get an awareness of yourself, but also deepen your relationship, because so many men don't know how to work and transform shame so that they can be a catalyst to be a better person and in, in better relationships. Yeah, I, I think that is probably the root of some of the the most painful experiences on the planet right now mm-hmm. is probably what what you just said this this male shame this i mean i i wouldn't be surprised if you can trace most war most rape most uh violence to say male shame of some sort mm-hmm. i'm not saying that's for sure what i think but i think i, I could i can imagine it being a very it, it certainly led to a ton of pain and violence in my life mm. both in internally and externally and i'm not talking about like physical violence even i'm talking about just like the way i was speaking to myself and to others yeah well, and then you transformed it into yeah. more aspects of love and compassion yeah good for you man yeah it feels good yeah. it feels nice <laughs> it feels like a relief to be yeah. on the other side of it yeah. honestly I know some people who are very much in it right now and it's, oh. I love your journey. I wanna have more conversations in the juice of, of your journey around deepening yourself in relationships. Yeah, I'd love Great, it. I would love that too. I'm really, really grateful to talk with you like this and I'd love to do it again. Sweet. Thanks, Eric. Thank you. Relationships, Let's Talk About It, is a production of Heartshare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more about licensed counselor Prebo Teplitsky, visit prebo.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. 
This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling or therapy, medical advice, diagnosis or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice.